Hi, CityCast listeners. History is at the center of the American culture wars, and nowhere is that more true than here in Texas. Why is that? And what's at stake? Today, I'm talking with Raul Ramos, a University of Houston professor who specializes in Texas history. It's Tuesday, October 25th, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. Raul, I have been fascinated by the ways that history, and especially Texas history, is just in the middle of the American culture wars right now. Where are you seeing that? In what ways? I think we can focus on how history is driving a lot of our our political discussions, our social discussions, and uh, and really feels like it's at the center of of some kind of debate. And it's a little bit hard to put your finger on it because I'm a historian. I, I, I mm-hmm. write history. I was trained to be a historian. I teach at University of Houston. I've been teaching Texas history for 20 years. I have been teaching pretty much the same way in those 20 years. I, I've you know, included new scholarship and, and expanded uh, some of the themes that I talk about, but but the basic structure of my class hasn't changed in those 20 years. So I do think that it's not the history that's driving this. It's something outside of the history that's pulling history into that debate. And that debate, it's sharp. I mean, we see the screaming school board fights. Certainly. You know, we hear Dan Patrick talking about getting rid of tenure at public universities right. in order to fight critical race theory, whatever you define that as. Seeing what's going on now, we see why tenure exists, right? I, I do see this you know, coming up a lot, uh, in it, especially now that we're in the political season or the heat of the political season. Uh, I've seen you know, school board meetings devolve into screaming matches. I've seen uh, school board candidates put history lessons at the front of their campaign materials. It, it becomes more of a, a sort of a litmus test, a, a way of, of displaying your party affiliation rather than uh, a way of thinking about the past, about asking questions about the past, of looking at contingency and uncertainty in the past. Most challenging to me is yeah. how certain some of this discussion is. I think when if you spend any time thinking about the past, you end up with more questions than you do answers. <laughs> I think a lot of us don't think of history that way. We think, oh, there are certain dates, there are certain important things that happened. You memorize that list and you pass the multiple choice test. Right. It's something that I think about a lot. When I was in college and I tell, I come home and I tell my friends, oh, I'm a history major. The first thing people would say is, oh, you must be good at Jeopardy or you must be good at Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> The reality is I'm horrible at both yeah. of those. And and one of the things you realize is that mm-hmm. at the college level, history isn't a, a sort of assortment of facts, a grab bag of facts, if you will. And, and I don't think it is at the high school or junior high or even the elementary school level either. I, and I think that's what's changing. When I was a sophomore mm-hmm. in high school, I had the coach come in to my history class open the textbook and just read it and then close the textbook when the bell rang and walk out. (laughs) 
it's a miracle anybody decides to become a history major in college if that's the kind of <laughs> idea that you have of history. Fortunately, we have a lot of good history teachers that inspire mm-hmm. students, that show them that history is alive and something that you engage and that you uh, can see, have insights both into the past and in the present, right? It's, it's a conversation between the past and present. It's not, uh, it's not dead in, in the sense that we're excavating bones it's it's the ghosts are, of those bones are walking around us every day they're walking around they're rattling chains right now very loudly the billboard put up by opponents of Beto O'Rourke did you see that one yes I, I, I'm not sure where that billboard was put up uh, but it it said something uh, to the effect of uh, remember the Alamo period. Vote no to Beto! Exclamation point. I read that. What does that mean? <laughs> your, good, your guess is as good as mine. I, it yeah. shows you two things. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's not a reason to vote for Greg Abbott, right? It's not a. It's not saying you know you should vote for Greg Abbott in the affirmative. It's it's saying that it's a negative ad. Clearly, if it's telling you to vote to to vote against a candidate, that's by definition a, a negative ad. It's using the phrase, remember the Alamo, as a cudgel of some sort. Right. And that's my question. What do we remember when we remember the Alamo? Are we saying that Beto like, slaughtered um, all those heroes of the Alamo? <laughs> like Jim Bowie died at Beto O'Rourke's hand? I think <laughs> if you came away with that impression, that wouldn't be yeah. unintended, let's say that. I, I think that's, that's what remember the Alamo has been used yeah. as a phrase against uh, Mexican Tejanos mm-hmm. uh, for uh, over a century, right? It's it's uh, what you would say yeah. at a you know in, in a school gym when the kids from the Mexican school were playing the kids from the Anglo American school, right? Uh, now kids yell "build the wall" instead of "remember the Alamo," but that still gives you an idea that it's it, it's taking history and historical events out of their context and using them in contemporary context as a kind of shorthand for a political position. Getting back to the Alamo, that whole fight for Texas independence, that brings us to the year 1836. What is the magic of that year, 1836, the year of the Texas Revolution, the year that Houston was founded? Why do we date the beginning of Texas there? It's uh, 1836 marks the independence of Texas in that narrative, right? Which is Texas is a province of Mexico. Americans immigrate into Texas and then uh, stage an armed rebellion. And, uh, and then at the end of that rebellion, declare independence or, or as part of that independence, part of that rebellion, declare independence and then form a Republic out of that uh, period. So it's, it's seen as a moment when Texas is born, or at least the current version of Texas is born. So when Texas was born, supposedly as its own country, correct, which Texans are very proud of, how, how real was that? Well, this is something that I've been thinking a lot about because one of the things we conveniently skip over uh, in talking about how not only that the Texas Revolution itself was an immigrant uprising, right? An uprising of American immigrants living in Mexico uh, that then was fueled by mercenaries, essentially, uh, Americans who came to join the fight in Texas. Really, at the end of the battle, 
where the majority of the fighting forces had, had not spent a day in Texas. They, they saw this as an opportunity to gain land and to, to come to Texas. Oh. Most importantly, right after the Battle of San Jacinto, a few months later, there was a, a referendum across the state with two issues. One was, should Texas either request statehood from the United States or become an independent republic? And the second was, if it becomes an independent republic, who should be the president? And we know Sam Houston won that. Uh, he was the hero of the Battle of San Jacinto and was very affable and loved across uh, the state. And so that wasn't a big issue. What was amazing to me is in that referendum across the entire uh, province, over 95% of those voting voted to request statehood with the United States immediately. In other words, there was no desire to spend any time oh. as a republic. And it really, I, I think, begs a, an even deeper question, which is from the moment those immigrants came to Mexico, to Mexican Texas, through the rebellion into the republic period, mm -hmm. I don't think any of them ever stopped thinking of themselves as American and considered themselves American and would you know, if you ask them what they were, they would say they're American. Uh, and I think that that this idea of a Texas identity as a national identity didn't exist. It's something that we've created subsequent to this period as the Republic uh, decade became yeah. a, a kind of badge of honor, a way of distinguishing Texas from the other yeah. states in the, in the Republic of in the United States. But in fact, the reason that we were our own independent little nation was that the United States would not have us at the time, correct? Because we would have come in as a slave-owning state? That was a big reason. Remember, the, the Congress was evenly split between slave-holding states and, and free states. The, there were other issues. It would be seen as American mm -hmm. imperialism against Mexico, taking Mexican land, essentially, would kind of connect the dots between Texas and uh, an American expansion, which by the way, triggered the U.S.-Mexico War when Texas was, was finally uh, annexed and, and made a state, uh, that we have the invasion of Mexico in 1846, and then the Treaty of Guadalupe in 18, uh, Hidalgo in 1848, which took uh, almost half of Mexico's territory and, and uh, transferred it to the United States. So uh, really, I think Texas is part of that massive land transfer from, from Mexico to the United States that, that includes uh, New Mexico, Arizona, California, Nevada, and Utah. When we are talking about 1836, it's getting at something, some sort of identity of Texas as a special place, Texas exceptionalism, or at least that's what it seems like to me. Is that, do I, am I right there? What do you think about that? Yes, I, I think uh, that 1836 does resonate in a way that we're, we're I think, coming, need to come to terms with. Uh, we take it for granted. I remember when Houston first got its soccer team from uh, San Jose. It was called the Earthquakes when they were in San Jose, and they had to take on a, a different name. <laughs> so they they pull up to uh, Houston, and uh, they ask around, and finally they unveiled the name Houston 1836 as the original uh, soccer team. We now know they're the know them as the Dynamo. But at the time, it seemed a little mm -hmm. uh, tone deaf and to, to name your soccer team, which the hope was at least half your fans were going to be Mexican, uh, after the defeat of the Mexican army in 1836. 
I think that's the the touching point there, which is it's it, it's talking about American imperialism, and and I think that's what the whole nation is coming to grips with. I think if I were to ex- extend and expand this Texas discussion and try to explain why it matters to the entire United States and not just to Texas and to be provincial about it, uh, but rather how it resonates with, I think, a national debate we're having about American expansion, about indigenous peoples, about uh, what about the United States as an empire, both on the continent and across the globe. That is something that goes against the nation's own original documents, right, which is one of anti-imperialism, which is one of sovereignty and Mm self-determination. That's uh, the contradiction that the nation is is living uh, under, really beginning with the first steps west of the Appalachian Mountains, right? I think this is a a longer process that includes Louisiana Purchase, that includes reaching across the Pacific, it includes Puerto Rico, right? These are discussions that, you know, talk about the ghosts that we're still living with. Those are the ghosts that we're still living with. And we're talking about Puerto Rico's challenges. Uh, it's, it's a colonial uh, situation that has not only created these problems, but really limited the availability and the opportunity to work through them and work out of them because it's still in that colonial relationship. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. Sure, I'm happy to anytime. That was Raul Ramos of the University of Houston. Now, I am here with producer Carly on Jones. Carly, what other news is happening around Houston today? Hey, Lisa. I got some good news for our Houston foodies out there. Shaquille O'Neal is set to open the first of many big chicken restaurants in the Houston area. The franchise is expected to open its doors in December or early January and will be located at the Lake Square Shopping Center off Westheimer and South Gessner. This location is among eight others that are in the planning stages to take Houston by storm. So, you chicken lovers out there should be on the lookout for this one. That is it for our show today. Please, if you like what you're hearing, rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps people find us, and we really appreciate that. We'll be back tomorrow. Talk with you then. You're not abandoning us. Okay.